Hi, just a quick content warning before we get started. There is mention of sexual assault and murder in this episode, so if you would not like to tune in, this is your time to click off, and if you would like to stay for the episode, I hope you enjoy it. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Armchair Detectives. I have many detectives with me today. First of all, I apologize for no episode last week. We were planning on recording, and then the tornado broke out, and then we just didn't get back to it. It's okay, though. It happens. Um... I apologize for my energy. That's why I have so many friends today. I am feeling like doo-doo. Also, Hi. we have beef in the circle, and it's getting a little bit intense. Alina and Bryn have been fighting on and off. I don't even know. Yeah. We're not even fighting. Bryn said she hated me. Whoa. She did say that. Oh, that is it. real harsh. She was talking about behind my back. Her, so now we have um, beef. She took the... the what is it the a push exam and her whole essay was like i hate alina i hate alina i hate alina the entire thing and i just <laughs> <laughs> wait pause you just froze and then it sped up what you said it that's okay it, it's it'll get my recording um, i was about to say let it go but she unfroze <laughs> yeah also no wait, i won't let it go so we'll see how this goes but um bren just wrote a hate note for her a push exam essay yeah was it about alina dude probably my a push my i feel so confident my a push my dbq was so good like i deserve a nobel peace prize for writing that can't you get your score canceled out if you talk about it shut up her name is what are we talking about brenda mcdonald cancel her score her creek high school i'm not talking about like the prompt itself you don't even know what i wrote about yeah my three essays yesterday for English were fire. One of them was really good. I can't tell you the topic because we're not allowed to talk about it, but it was really good. I forgot to sign up for mine. And quite <laughs> frankly, I'm, I'm just, not upset about it. I honestly, I just took a star test this week because I'm not smart enough for AP. <laughs> so did I, and it so. was easy as hell. It was so Great easy. Friend. Everyone finished within like the first hour. It's easy as heck. And we were sitting there and could not do anything um, who's so-and-so yeah. that's their name <laughs> anyway, interesting i saw um maggie in the flesh by the way everybody gross yeah you you just walked right by my car and i'm so offended you should have honked yeah <laughs> oh my gosh wait you park you park out there yeah my spot's out there Okay, I'll make sure to look for you next time. It has space turtles on it. It's turtle that are floating in space. Yeah. I felt really okay. bad. I wanted to put the editor thing. Mine's the frog and toad one. This is irrelevant because we're <laughs> Oh, you're the frog and toad one? Yeah. You're, dude, your parking spot is right next to mine. Amani, I see you. Wait, Amani, I'm in the same parking lot as you. Yeah. So wait, we're all in the same Not parking lot. Yeah. Um, Amani. Are no, only but there's down. open spaces in that. Maggie, I'm what? reporting you to the administration. Yeah, I don't park I in see you. Spot. I see Amani okay, every I'm gonna single morning. I'm going to start people. You do? First. Yeah. I also see Amani. That's kind of whack. Okay. Starting with my case. So, my case is um, the Girl Scout murders. Um, so, in the summer of 1977, um, at Camp Scott, Girl Scout Camp um, in 
uh, Oklahoma. Um, on June 13th, sometime between 2 and 4 a.m., um, some person came into the Kiowa, Kiowa unit, um, which is like, just like, um, like a, a building, um, and killed, well, first, um, like sexually assaulted three girls, three Girl Scouts, and then killed them. Um, and they were, they were all in the same tent. Um, and then the person who killed them uh, carried um, all three bodies about 150 yards from their tent found by um, the uh, by a camp counselor, Carla Wilhite, um, and uh, she she was on she was on her way at like six a.m. So about um, two to four hours later, she's um, she sees these bodies, um, and then like an hour and a half later, um, law enforcement shows up um, and they start the investigation. Um, approximately 10 a.m. Uh, Camp Scott is eva evacuated without telling like all the other campers um, why they're going home. Um, and like, so buses return um, the girl, all of the Girl Scouts to um, their families. Um, and that was the last day that that camp was open. Um, it, like it's never been reopened since then. Um, it's been almost 50 years. Um, so on June 14th, 1977, it's the next day, so they're still investigating the crime scene. The wooden floor platform of tent number seven, which is the num which was the tent that they the girls were in, um, was airlifted to a crime lab to, like, preserve the crime scene. Um, and so, like, they discovered that the floor of the tent was covered in, um, and so like it appeared that the perpetrator um, attempted to wipe up the blood um with like towels and like sheets and mattresses um and there was a tennis shoe print found outside the like they had blood on it blood tennis shoe print um found outside the tent and it was a different print than the there was a print also inside the tent and there were two different prints um uh so a man is arrested um, about seven miles north of the camp um, and he's homeless, he's living in his car um, and you know, they question him, but they were like, this is not the guy. Um, uh, the investigation turns to a ranch just west of Camp Scott owned by um, Jack Schroth. Um, he had items stolen from his cabin, um, which like had would have a connection to the murder. Um, and so then they bring in dogs and like 
um, they were, they actually got special names. They're called the wonder dogs um, to help like find the, the first possible suspect. So the first time um, the, the first time the name of Jean Leroy Hart is mentioned um, as a possible suspect because he escaped from the Mays County Jail four years prior to the murders. And he, you know, he was never found. Um, and so uh, they, the officers and um, crime scene investigators informed the press that in addition to the shoe prints, they also have fingerprints um, on the bodies, a flashlight and a piece of cord and duct tape. So like, as long as they got someone's, someone to fingerprint, they have got the guy. But um, uh, um, you know, they, they, they can't pull in a suspect yet. They don't have enough evidence. So there are eyeglasses and um, like a case for the eyeglasses found and um, the glasses have belonged to campers in the Kiowa unit and um, one to one of the counselors. Um, so that's more evidence that they can. Um, so on the 17th, which is just three days, four days after the initial attack, um, Jack Schroff, the nearby ranch owner, um, passes a lie detector test. Due to the way the article ran in the Tulsa Tribune, it's a continuation on another page. Um, the article uh, led some readers to believe that Schroff was a suspect, um, but they called all of those people off saying that it was not him. Um, so then um, the crime scene detectives um, also report that the murder weapon was a crowbar and there were more fingerprints on the crowbar. Um, and uh, and so um, it also is reported that um, between um, 2.30 and 3 a.m. on that the morning when they got killed, a nearby like landowner um, heard like a little bit of traffic um, on a remote road near the camp. So after all this evidence, they finally um, uh, we bring in Jean Leroy Hart, but um, so, uh, but. On June fourth, nineteen seventy nine, um, before they were ever to ever able to um, charge him, he collapsed and died of a heart attack, um, like in prison, because he was put back in prison when they found him. Um, so later on, you know, they were still trying to solve this to get closure for the families, and in eighty nine, um, they conducted DNA tests 
that showed three out of five probes matched heart's DNA. Um, how been from one in 7,700 Native Americans. So like, it's, it's pretty likely that it could have just been another Cherokee um, who, who committed this crime. Um, and then in 2008, um, the authorities conducted a new DNA test on stains found on the pillowcase. Um, and the results of that test pro proved inconclusive because, you know, the samples were too deteriorated. Um, and so ever since then, it's just never been solved. Um, you know, the families never got closure and the camp has still not been open since then. Um, yeah. Why the Girl Scouts? Sorry. I know, that's Sorry. really sad. Sorry. I was a Girl Scout once. I, mm -mm. I don't know what to say about this one. It was very obviously that the hearts, you know. Yeah. It's just it's like sad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like the fact that um, it also was mentioned that like to get to their tent, those girls' tent. Um, the suspect would have had to have walked past all of the camp counselors' tents. Oh, no. And so, like, no, the a, fact that any of those camp counselors could have walked out and seen who it was, like, uh, it it's just, just makes me like, so angry. It's wild that, like, these girls were murdered so brutally, and, like, there were so many people around, you know? It's such a short period of time. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know, like, you always think, like, oh, I would notice if something was wrong, or I would, you know, wake up in the middle of the night, but, like, these people did not, these are camp, camp counselors, <laughs> they're supposed to be watching over the kids, you think they would have someone on night watch or something. Yeah, especially a bunch of, a bunch of little kids in the middle of the woods at night, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. but, it doesn't surprise me as much that it happened because I've heard like I've read a lot of cases of like boys being taken advantage of and like Boy Scouts and yeah. it's not like I don't think it's very uncommon for some of like the a really easy place to get to yeah and also like it's really sad like yeah the camps are like out in the middle of nowhere mm -hmm. so they're easy to get away away from <laughs> so and like especially in the woods there's not like there's a lot of evidence that could be destroyed just by the natural environment yeah and so like yeah it's just really tragic that you know these girls and their families never got to ever know about who it could have been yeah okay um wants to go next me, I'm gonna go next. Do you um, have a better story to cheer us up? I feel no, like we're all this, feeling this. Also involves a dead child. Oh god! I'm so oh. sorry. Oh no. Um, oh no. So this case is pretty popular. It was especially popular in 2008. Um, a lot of people know this case, but I definitely want to talk about it because it's been so long, and the outcome of the case 
you know, I still can't believe today nothing's been done about it. But if you haven't heard about it, in 2008, um, the bizarre behavior of Casey Anthony shocked the world. The then 22-year-old singer, single mother from Orlando, Florida revealed a web of lies that had covered up the disappearance of her two-year-old daughter, Kaylee. Um, that summer, there was Facebook photos of her partying around town. But what nobody knew is while she was partying, her child was missing. Um, so starting on August 9, 2005, Kaylee Marie Anthony is born. This is Casey Anthony's daughter. Um, Kaylee had denied that she was pregnant. Oh, wait, hold the phone. Casey had denied she was pregnant with Kaylee, but her family had suspicions about her pregnancy. Um, and so her parents demanded that she um, tell them if she's pregnant or not. And this started her suggesting that she had possible partners who could be the dad, um, but she lied a lot about who the father could be. So on July 16, 2008, um, Kaylee's a bit older now. Um, Casey's Anthony, Casey Anthony's parents, you know, are aware that she has had a child, you know, Casey eventually had to tell them that she was pregnant. Um, and so they tried to keep an eye on Kaylee because of, um, she took, Kaylee and this um freaked her family out because her family was like where are you taking her you're crazy what is happening so that went down and then a month later July 15th um Casey's mom reports Kaylee is missing and everything that had led up to this was um they had learned that a family car was being used by Casey and it had been impounded. And so her dad went and got the car and he was overwhelmed by the smell of like something dead. Um, and there was a trash bag in the car in the back. And even after they took this trash, uh, trash bag out, the car just smelled like absolutely terrible, like something dead had been in there. So Cindy, who is um, uh, Casey's mom, she hadn't been talking to Casey because Casey on June 15th, you know, a month earlier, you know, she had a fight. She took Kaylee and that was that. And, you know, her parents freaked out, but it wasn't like anything to where, you know, they were like, oh, we need to get her back right away. Well, Cindy tracks down her daughter. Um, and of course, um, Casey's like in a state of mind where you can clearly tell something is not good. Um, she's telling her mother all these lies. Her mother is wondering where her child is, um, you know, because Kaylee has not been around. She's not with her mother. And now her grandmother is worried because they just found this car that her daughter had been using and it smelled overwhelmingly of death. So, you know, this drew a bunch of suspicion and her mom was very freaked out about her granddaughter. Um, so... They, Cindy eventually talks to um, Casey and Casey admits that Kaylee has been missing for over a month. And Cindy freaks out and she calls 911 and she's like, my daughter just told me that my grandchild has been missing for a month. Um, and she says on the call that it smells like there's a dead body in the damn car. 
So on July 16th, the next day, Casey is arrested. And this um, starts basically this wild case because Casey is basically a compulsive liar. She doesn't tell the truth about anything. Um, She tells investigators one story, but then she quickly changes it. And, you know, they're trying to figure out where the heck is this child? This child has been gone for over a month and she has not said anything, you know, until her mother had to force it out of her and call the police. So first she says that there is some nanny and the nanny ran off of Kaylee on June 9th. And then um, Casey pretended to have a job at Universal Studios. Well, when she's arrested, she's charged with child neglect, lying to investigators and interfering with a criminal investigation. So investigators go and look into this nanny. They go and look into this possible job Kaylee had and or Casey had. And of course, it's not true. So um, with Casey just lying about the nanny and um, her job, and now she's saying that she doesn't know where her daughter is. And she's telling them just basically all these lies about the investigation. On July 22nd, 2008, they declare her a person of interest at a bond hearing. Um, the hearing brings on evidence that a cadaver dog had zero, um, zeroed in on the odor of human, um, like a human body in the trunk. So um, they were pretty positive that there had been a dead body in the back of that tr- car at one point. And they also went to her backyard and um, they believe there was also a dead body there at some point. Um, although she's being held, I mean, at the time she wasn't on like a murder charge, it was minor charges. Um, the judge, um, set bail to $500,000. Um, so on August 20th, her bond is posted and a California bounty hunter, um, announces that he's paid her bond and he's hoping that, um, by paying this bond and getting Casey out of um, prison or not prison, um, jail, it'll help them find Kaylee because Kaylee has been missing for over a month at this point. At this point, on August 30, 30th, they pull back her bond um, because Casey's arrest uh, has another arrest for allegedly stealing and cashing checks from a friend. Um, and obviously this makes people really, really mad because people are like, first of all, this kid has been missing for quite some time. Casey's a liar. Now Casey's doing other crimes. And so people, um, go outside her home and there's a mob. Um, and she says, I came, I gave her my best shot, shot. She didn't want to talk to me. What can I say? Um, so, or she didn't say that, but the bounty hunter say that, said that. Um, well, Anthony Casey, she was released, um, again, um, and then on September 5th, another bond was, uh, on, and then she returned to jail by the end of the month. Well, on August 14th, 2008, they charged her with first degree murder. Um, they charged her with child abuse aggravated manslaughter, four counts of providing false information to law enforcement. Um, And her lawyer, um, Casey's lawyer in response said, I sincerely believe when we have spoken, everyone, and I mean everyone, will sit back and say, now I understand that explains it. So, you know, most of the country at this point thinks that she's a horrible mother who has killed her child. And, you know, everybody thinks she's going to go to jail for the rest of her life. 
Well, um, 10 days later, October 24th, 2008, um, they released the forensic reports from her car. Um, the report notes that a hair strand discovered in the trunk is similar to those found on Kaylee's brush and showed characteristics of apparent decomposition. Well, it basically expressed that her hair that they found had fallen off of her when she was already dead. So, unfortunately, at one point, dead in the back of that car. Um, Another sample from the trunk found um, chemical um, compounds that were consistent with the dead body. Um, On December 11th, 2008, the skeletal, skeletal remains of a young girl are discovered. The bones were found in a bag in a wooded area less than a half a mile away from Anthony's home by a utility worker. Um, it was later revealed that this worker had sought to convince police to search the area back in the summer. So he um, sort of had an idea of that her body might be there. I don't really know why. So unfortunately, a little over 10 days later, on December 20th, 2008, they confirmed that the, these remains were the body of Kaylee. Um, so it was confirmed that she was dead. She was no longer missing. She was, you know, confirmed dead. The Orange County Chief Medical Examiner um, reported that the bones showed no evidence of trauma and that Kaylee's death was ruled as a homicide under undermined means. Uh, undetermined means, sorry. Although the skull was found with duct tape around the nose, mouth, and jaw, um, and the body had been there for quite a while um so it wasn't like she was fully intact you know she had started the process of decomposing um so they couldn't figure out an exact cause or date because it had been so long and her body had been so decomposed at that point um that it was really hard to see how she died and when she died um well on january 23rd 2009 george which is um uh, Casey's father, um, Kaylee's grandfather, he was taken into custody after a suicide attempt. Um, it was reported that he was possibly under the influence of medication and alcohol when he was found in a hotel, along with a five-page suicide note. Um, this brought suspicion to people because um, people thought he might have tried to kill himself because he played a part in his granddaughter's death, but, um, you know, Time moved on and they still were blaming her mother. So she was still on trial or awaiting trial. Then on April 13th, 2009, prosecutors announced their intention to pursue the death penalty. So when her trial started, they were really going to go for the top thing and, you know, try to get her on death row. Um, On May 24th, 2011, um, the trial starts with the defense's bombshell claims. Um, The trial began with the prosecution's um, opening about Casey being a party girl with no use for a young daughter. They used this as evidence for a motive. And they expressed that Casey often spent her money shopping and drinking. And especially during the time that Kaylee was, you know, presumed missing. Um, but then opening statements 
um, started going and they asserted that Kaylee had drowned in the family pool and George, um, Casey's dad, had stopped to cover it up as an accidental death. And then um, Casey's team basically tried to blame her father for her daughter's death and say that he had molested um, Casey when she was younger and she was aware of him trying to lie all his life and um, she wouldn't be surprised if he killed her daughter and that he wouldn't be, she wouldn't be surprised if her father had planted her body where they found her and tried to blame her for it. Um, well, he ended up taking the stand as the first witness, her father, George, and he denied he ever molested his daughter or knew anything about Kaylee's drowning or anything that had to deal with her death. Well, on May 27, 2011, a witness offered his theory about the smell in Casey's car. As we, as I said, um, the overwhelming smell of death was in the car. Um, Simon Birch, he was the manager of a towing company. Um, and this company was the one that impounded her car in June of 2008. He said he encountered multiple vehicles with dead bodies during his three decades in the business. Because, you know, I guess when you're towing cars, you find dead bodies often. Um, and he said that the smell from Casey's car was consistent with those past experiences. So he was basically saying that her car smelled like dead body. And he knew what dead body smelled like because he had already had experiences um, with finding dead bodies in cars through his towing company. Um, that same day, um, the fi uh, fiance of Casey's brother took the stand and described the very special bond she observed between Kaylee and her mother, which to me is, I don't think there was any bond considering that Casey um, was a partier and didn't really seem to care about her kid, but moving on. On June 6, 2011, a forensics expert um, took the stand. Um, he explained there was a shockingly high amount of chloroform, which uh, is usually released during the body's um, period of time where it's decomposing. Um, and it's also can be used to knock someone unconscious. Um, well, there was a shockingly high amount detected in the trunk of the car. And um, he, on the stand, said that he believed that a dead body was indeed present in the back of the car. Um, although his testimony was contradicted the following day by an FBI scientist who compared the chloroform level in the trunk to amount found in the house in a household cleaner. Um, so basically trying to say that it's like comparing to um, a cabinet full of household cleaners. Um, so that kind of threw the jury off because there was two different claims about the chloroform chloroform I don't even know how to say it chloroform um on June 8th 2011 the jury ponders the relevant events of search engines um so basically um a software software designer uh, designer testifies that someone had searched for chloroform 84 times and looked up terms such as head injuries, ruptured spleen, chest trauma, chest trauma, and internal bleeding on the Anthony's home computer in March 2008 during the regular work hours of George and Cindy, which would be um, Casey's parents. Um, the designer later reports an error in his detecting software and determines that the user visited a site related to chloroform only once. Chloroform. Um, so that wasn't really much the case. On June 23rd, 2011, 
Um, Cindy refutes uh, her previous testimony. Um, this was a crucial, crucial day for the defense. Um, she claims she was the only one who researched that on her computer. She also testifies that the stain found in the trunk, allegedly caused by Kaylee's body, was there when the family purchased the car eight years earlier. Um, why she did this, I don't know why, because it was making it, making her daughter, I mean, it was making her daughter look pretty bad and leading her daughter to be found guilty, so I don't know if that's why she did it. Um, so then on July, July 3rd, the two sides prevent, pre- present their closing argument, and this leads to the trial coming to an end and the jury having to make their decision. Um, so at this point, you would think Casey's guilty of murder because it's pretty clear there was a dead body in the back of the car from some um, people who took the stand, you know, although some people tried to say, no, there wasn't. Um, I mean, her daughter's body was found. And so everybody was thinking that she would be found guilty. Well, on July 5th, 2011, she was not found guilty of murder. Um, There was 400 pieces of evidence presented in court and the jury of seven women and five men took less than 11 hours to find the verdict of not guilty. Um, So on July 17th, 2011, um, Casey is released from jail from her previous um, crimes that she committed. And now she's living her life freely and her daughter died this horrible death and they never found out what happened. So that's the case. Um, in my personal opinion, she 100% killed her daughter. She 100% was a partier, didn't care about her daughter. But unfortunately... She was not found guilty, and she never, you know, served any time for it. Something about that. No. This case, yeah, this case has always reminded me of the John Bonet Ramsey case, where there's clearly like the answer is right there, and they just mm-hmm. don't. One time, don't I left it. a milk carton in my mom's car. It probably smelled similar. X. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there was plenty of evidence that showed that there was clearly a dead body back there, even though some people testified things that um counter it. Know what a dead body smells like. It was stuck yeah. under a seat. And when her parents found the car because it was impounded, they the second they opened it, it smelled like death. Like that's not normal. If he like smelled the car, why didn't he like look in it, like take a little peek? Why didn't well he they did. Him? But like did. right when he smelled but it. They probably cleaned it up. And yeah. Well they did because they, they found a the trash bag. bag and they thought, oh it's the trash. But then, like, it still smelled like death. But then, you know, they go through all this these months, and they find out that the granddaughter, you know, Kaylee had been missing for months, or a month at that point. And, you know, and then they eventually find her body, you know. And now, it was, to me, her mother was a partier. Her mother didn't care about her. Her mother was a compulsive liar. Facts. It all leads to her, but then she's not found guilty, you know. Yeah. But then also leads to, like, I don't think she get, should get the death penalty because there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of men out there who have done the same or worse and haven't. I feel like a lot, a lot of this is very, like a, when I was younger watching this happen as I was growing up, there was a lot of misogyny around this case. Mm-hmm. And so obviously I still think she did it. Duh. Yeah. But like, I definitely everyone have, was I- just like. I remember when her trial was happening. I remember when it was a big thing. It was all over the news. 
Um, I remember when she was found not guilty, people were so mad because they were like, it's so obvious she killed her kid. She put the body in her trunk, Mm -hmm. probably didn't move her for a little bit, then finally dumped her somewhere. Like it was like, I remember my parents talking about it. And even now when I've been able to read the evidence in a timeline and, you know, uh, see her Facebook posts that she'd been posting when her daughter was missing, see the things she lied about. Um, and then kind of watch like, you know, how the crime played out, how the trial played out. I still think she did it. And I, she somehow got away with it. I don't know how 400 pieces of evidence. It was kind of obvious. Everyone would be like, "Eh." yeah. Um, yeah, everyone woke I, up that day and chose mercy. And I mean, the fact that she, uh, the fact that she uh, had her kid missing for a month while she was partying, like, wouldn't she be more concerned? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yes. Sorry, but I was in. Bryn, I like your um your hat. FYI, everyone, Bryn is wearing a fedora. No, that's not what they're what called. The they're called berets. She's wearing. Maggie got a mute for that. <laughs> Must we begin on my podcast? You're getting a mute. So true. I'm wearing a beret, guys, because Maggie. Anyways, that was the case. I think we all agree that she probably killed her kid. And got oh, away. she definitely murdered her kid. I want everyone to know that. Yeah, definitely involved. Definitely is. You don't search chloroform and head trauma. Okay, Brennan had a case sitting for like three weeks. Yeah, Brennan. Does it smell? Yeah. Does it involve dead children? No, just a dead adult. Good. Then it'll maybe it'll bring up our spirits. This one is kind of a cool case. Well, I mean, it's not cool because he died, but. Um, oh, way to spoil <laughs> it, Bryn. Yeah, what the heck? What's wrong Spoiler with you? warning. Um, this one, it kind of reminds me of like one of like the Somerton, the guy he was found on the beach and they like didn't know how he died. <clears throat> so this one is about the story of Georgie Markov. Yay. Shid. One sec. Okay, there we go. Um. <laughs> wait, wait, wait! wait. Do we have to? Do we have? We have to censor that. Don't worry about it. We have to. S H I D. You're gonna have to censor that. Too. <laughs> oh my days. Anyways, okay. Start from the top. This is the story of Bulgarian journalist Georgi Markov which took place in 1978. <coughs> Sorry, my Wi-Fi is acting up. Okay, here we go. So on the morning of September 7th, 1978, Markov was on his way to work um, to the BBC. And while waiting at a bus stop near the Waterloo Bridge alongside um, a bunch of other people, he felt a sudden um, sharp pain in the back of his right thigh which he said felt like an insect bite. And then when he looked at it, it was just like a small, like almost like the size of a pimple, like irritation. And he said a nearby man who 
supposedly had a heavy foreign accent, um, briefly stopped to pick up an umbrella from the ground and he was and said, I'm sorry, before um, hurrying away and then going into a taxi. And then um, after Markov got to work, he did he looked at the uh, the mark and didn't really think anything of it. And as he was working that day, he just be, became sicker and sicker and then got like a really bad fever and had to be admitted to the hospital. And he died on September 11th. <clears throat> after doing the autopsy since examination, they found that he had been poisoned by a small pellet fired into the right of his leg that morning. Um, forensic pathologists discovered it was the size of a pinhead and contained holes drilled at right angles to each to form an almost X shape inside the pellet. It had been filled with 0.2 milligrams of the deadly poison ricin, I think, and then covered with a waxy coating that was designed to melt at the degree of the human body, which made it like trigger and then go to his bloodstream and killing him. Um, the suspicion of this um, quote unquote umbrella gun, because that, that's obviously how they got into his leg, um, had been used as a, has, was stated as the murder weapon. Um, diagrams were even produced to show how the umbrella may have been adapted into this weapon with a poison tip and former KGB officers have claimed since that this device um, that this device has been designed. However, there are many theories suggesting that the poisonous pellet may have directly been injected by a needle into his leg because he didn't really see what was happening. He just felt like a sharp pain on the back of his leg. Um, and they think like the umbrella was just dropped as a distraction. But um, after the autopsy, the coroners determined that Markov had been unlawfully killed. Okay. Um, a lot of evidence was suggested that with his assassination was like there was the involvement of the Bulgarian DS and the Soviet KGB. Prior to the umbrella incident, he had sought advice from the KGB on how to best neutral. Um, the KGB had sought how to neutralize Markov. And two previous attempts had been made on his life. A toxin slipped into his drink at a dinner party and a previous attempt on his previous attempt on his visit to Sardinia, both obviously which failed. Um, it has been suggested that the date chosen for this third assassination was because of someone's birthday. I'm not gonna try and pronounce it. And Mar Markov's murder was to act as some sort of quote-unquote gift to the Bulgarian leader because he was involved in like news and stuff and so they think like the Russians had something to do with it. Ten days before Markov's murder a similar assassination was held on a Bulgarian exile. Um, his name was Vladimir Kostov um, and while he was waiting for while he was waiting at a Paris metro station um, um Kostov came down with a high fever and was hospitalized where the doctors found the same kind of pellet in his skin. On this occasion, he survived, which obviously um, Markov didn't, possibly because he had not been shot at a point-blank rage, and they think possibly because the coating of the pellet had just um, didn't dissolve correctly, uh, meaning that only a small quantity of ricin was able to enter his blood. 
And they said what helped is because he was wearing thick clothing on that day. If that helps. However, Kostov's case suggests that the attack on Markov may have not been an isolated case, but was perhaps part of like a, a bigger strategy. Um, and also this is, they said in the post-Cold War area, era, numerous cases, including like dioxin poisoning of Ukrainian opposition leader, um, Victor, not gonna attempt his last name, in his elections, in his run-up elections from the early 2000s. Um, and then the still unsolved October 2006 murder of Russian journalist, Anna, I'm not gonna try her last name. And then November um, 2006 death of former KGB and FSB officer Alexander Lit, Lit, Lit Vin, Vineco um, from radiation poisoning after he was exposed to polonium in London. And a lot of people think this is all linked to Markov case. And they think that all these assassinations were politically motivated. Um, also because um, Markov was like against communism and spoke out about it, which this was during the Cold War, Cold War era. So obviously they weren't going to put up with that. And yep, that is all. I think we, sorry, I just want to interrupt you real quick. <laughs> I That's think we should have an episode where it's just brain saying Russian name. Facts, facts, we should. <laughs> I can't, I can't, like, I, like, this I- This is your second, literally... at least your second Russian case, too. You did oh, the yeah. mountain one. <laughs> Why yeah. do you choose the Russian one? You can't pronounce the name. Well, I got this from a Breaking Bad episode. Okay, all right. That's all I need to <laughs> Anyway, I want to know what type of top secret information he was going to leak to the, to the media, to the public that got him killed. I want to know. Well, what what blackmail? What Sorry, I want to know the secrets about the KGB and the. Uh, Bren, you okay? I just chugged paint on camera, by the way, and no one cared. You just Pixar didn't happen. I I cared. I didn't want to interrupt Bren. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what did you drink? I chugged red paint. It's not edible though. No, it's not. I chugged this water before I remembered that I was using this as a, um, what is it called? Like a water thing for your paintbrushes, and I spat no, it out. Why would you do that? Anyway. Brandon, I thought you did an excellent job. I can't yeah. believe huh? I think you did an excellent job, Bren. Yeah, Thanks. Bren, that was really great. I just can't yeah. believe you angered the Russian mafia like that. I think no, it's I really funny about something else. The KGB or whatever? I think it's really great that Bryn read all of that in a beret. We... The French reading about the mafia. Yeah, 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 exactly. It was, it was a good contrast, Bren, I will admit. They had to skip a bunch of stuff about his backstory because it's not important. Oh, his backstory. Uh, Russian backstories are never important. They're always the same. He's not Russian, he's Bulgarian. Wasn't Bulgaria once a part of Russia? Yes. I don't know. I'm only an A push. (laughs) I have a stack of cash that I'm never going to use. Come on, AP Euro. You should use it too. I failed that test. (laughs) 
the AP exam? For refunded. In my defense, I was very sick that day. I should have just did a retake. You really should have. Yeah. Yeah, I'm never taking another AP test again. I literally got a one on my um I took AP human geography last year. I did a one on that one. Anyway, hey guys. That one is so hard and it was also literally academic. Anyway, on but I got a four on web. OMG. I forgot what I got on lap. I got a four on um, a push last year. So basically what we're saying is that it's really lame if you're really smart, um, but it's really cool if you are really dumb. Facts, facts, smooth brain. <laughs> smooth brain like smooth if you get a one on any of your AP test, you're really cool. Honestly, I feel like you have to try and get a one. So you actually are. Yeah. Like, oh like take me, take me. I'm really cool because I got a one on an AP test. But Lauren, Lauren gets fours. Hey, I got a two on the Euro one. And I'm I majoring in history too. That I am never took an AP exam because I always got dropped halfway through the semester. You always got Oh my goodness. I also got a four on my AP bio. Oh, okay. Literally, I got forties on every single test in that class. I'm and so glad. Then, I think we're just gonna have to end it here. I opened I, the AP bio and I looked at it. Stop! And I started crying immediately because I did not know what these words mean. And then stop flexing. I wrote a sad face in the of my thing. Lauren, you know what you should have done? You know, just took an. You should have just took an um an L for the class and had a heart attack, and then everyone would have passed. Well, it was online because it, it was like everything got shut down because of COVID last year. As I said, you should have taken L for the class. <laughs> well, I was by myself in my house. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Hey, Bryn, when I was drinking this earlier, you gave it a disgusting look. Yeah, because that doesn't look appetizing. I, oh, you know what? I love the cream soda by Dr. Pepper. Good? It's good. It's yeah. so delicious. It's really for what? When we meet like, up in real life, uh, let's just bring Brand a case of cream. It's cream yeah, anyway, yeah. For, on that for note, a late birthday gift. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining. Happy prom week for us seniors, which is just no, it's most of us. Um, Hi guys, three of you guys. Yeah. And Who's going we, to prom? I'm not going to real prom, but I'm dressing up. Let's go off, queen. I'm not going to prom. I know, Brent. Um, thank you so much. We have two more episodes after this. We could oh, have three, no. but I don't really feel like doing the last one. So we got two more, and then we're and done. And then you're taking the reins next year? Yeah, and if you mess it up, Brent, I'm literally going to go to your house and strangle you because we're neighbors. I still need to, I still need to ask you how to do certain stuff. I barely know. Oh. This is scary. I'm gonna I'm gonna have Bren edit the the next episode. Ooh. She can get some practice under her belt. Ooh. <laughs> Thank worry. you so much for tuning in. We will see you next week. Bye. See you.